The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Saints Happy Hour Podcast with host Ralph Malbro and featuring bloggers Andrew Juge of SaintsNation.com, Kevin Held of The Team Drops the Ball, and Dave Cariello of Canal Street Chronicles. This podcast is nothing but serious football talk and hardcore analysis. Which four of you would survive the longest in the zombie apocalypse, and in which order would you die? Well, Ralph, no offense, you're going first. No, definitely. <laughs> no, no, no. The zombies would smell Dave's sugar blood and target him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have a joke, Dave. Dave, Dave smells like nougat. Now here's your host, Ralph Malbrose. Welcome to Saints Happy Hour Podcast. As always, we are sponsored by you, the fan. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we have an awesome guest tonight. We have uh, Mike Renner from P- from Pro Football Focus. He's going to join us, and we're going to talk draft uh, for 45 minutes. He's been nice enough to give us time during draft week. Uh, Andrew did a great job of getting him. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. Excited to talk some Saints uh, draft prospects here. Um, so I guess let's get right into it um, because we're, we're like obsessed, right, with uh, with 11. So before we get mm-hmm. to before we get to specific um, before we get to specific like players and that sort of thing, how do you see the top 10 on a, on this Monday night before before the draft? How do you see it sort of playing out? Do you see quarterbacks going? Do you see wide receivers going? How do you see it going at one through ten? Honestly, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> I, I think I think everybody at this point is just guessing because no one knows how it's going to go. In my heart of hearts, if I had to, you know, gun to my head, pick or kind of say how it's going to go down, I think there's going to be a little run on QBs. I think Ooh, Trubisky, I like that. Watson. I like that, and Mahomes could go in that top 10 if Cleveland feels like trading back up into there at some point to grab one of those guys. Uh, I, I just I think it's going to be, you know, 2011 all over again, where some teams just start reaching for QBs because <laughs> there's so many teams just so needy for quarterbacks at this point. Oh, uh, my goodness. And I just don't think there's like a, a set order that these guys go in like we saw kind of a year ago where there was there was like a top five sort of set in stone that we're going to go top five. Uh, and then after that, it was a it was sort of a decision. This year, I don't really see that. There, you know, guys like Marshawn Lattimore could go either from anywhere from two to ten. Solomon Thomas, same you know sort of range. So I have no real handle on it. But I do think when it's all said and done, there'll be some QBs coming off the board. So yeah, I mean, I think if you look at um, and thanks, this is Andrew, Mike. Thanks for helping us out tonight. Um, so I think when you you there's a couple players you just mentioned, but I think when you ask your average Saints fan we're kind of all looking at this from the perspective of you want receivers and you want quarterbacks taken in that top 10, because from a team needs perspective, obviously you want to build your defense and that just brings the talent down the board at positions that you want. Um, So a couple guys you just mentioned, Solomon Thomas, Marshawn Latimer, 
Give me what odds do you think there are? I mean, I feel like every year something crazy happens in the draft, and especially at a place like 11, a guy becomes available that you wouldn't dream in a million years would be there. Is there do you, how do you feel about those two guys falling at 11? And is there any player you feel like we should watch to maybe fall out of the top five? I think uh, Solomon Thomas and Marshawn Lattimore is really pushing it. I think there's almost there's zero chance of Lattimore at this point. Uh, Solomon can we start Thomas a there, rumor about his hamstring falling off? <laughs> can we? Do I that? mean, we can try, but <laughs> it, it's probably not going to go too far. Uh, and even if it did, he'd probably still go top ten. I think that's how good he is. <laughs> but uh, Solomon Thomas, there's a chance, but then once you get to number nine at Cincinnati. I, I don't see how Carolina and Cincinnati pass on Solomon Thomas back to back. They just it just fits a need for both of them. So that those two seem like pipe dreams. If you're looking for one guy to fall, I mean someone like Jonathan Allen could fall to number eleven, but that's not mm, to me. A I, I think need he's for inside interior only. Yeah. I, I'm not sure he's the perfect fit for what the Saints need. So well. PFF, everybody knows it's great with the stats, but one of the reasons I really love you guys for the draft this year is Andrew will tell you, like, I'm a Barnett, because I'm an LSU SEC homer, so I'm a Barnett guy, because I think mm-hmm. well, he's a, I think he's potentially a plug-and-play guy for the Saints. Like, they can put him in there, and he can be a five, six sack guy as a rookie and really make their defensive line potentially great. But the interesting thing about you guys at PFF is you guys have him as your third guy, which is kind of different from everybody else. Why is that? Well, we just dropped him down to sixth in our entire in our newest board. That's our final, you know, draft board uh, heading into the Thursday's uh, first round. But we're still probably that's still six is probably still way higher than the national media. Any team is on him. It's because if you just look at his raw production, what he did in the SEC in our grading system, it's off the charts to a degree we've only really yeah. seen from guys like Joey Bosa in the past and Miles Garrett <laughs> in the past. So. I mean, he's up there with guys who did well in the NFL on the defensive line to where, and it's not like he's playing, uh, what am I, you know, non-power five. It's not like he's doing this against the Mac. There are SEC tackles who are going to play in the NFL. They're like most of the guys he's going up against are legitimate talents who could play on Sundays to where, you know, if he's beating up those guys now, what's not, why won't he beat up on them in four years when they're all in the NFL? I, I just think, he has that sort of uh, people want to say there's one way to win as a pass rusher, and that's with explosiveness and bending the edge and all that good stuff. But I think there's more than one way. I think we saw that with Joey Bosa last year, and I think we're going to see yeah. that with Derek Barnett once he gets to the league. Well, the interesting thing about Barnett, and you know, I'm sure I don't know how close attention you pay to the lo- local media in New Orleans or kind of the blogs in New Orleans, but I, I think we're kind of second guessing that pick just because. Barnett has been the guy for so long and and right from the get-go when these mocks were first coming out after the Super Bowl uh, Barnett's kind of been that guy at 11 and everyone's kind of piggybacking off each other and so it's almost like some mocks are picking something different just to say something different but uh, that's been the consensus with a lot of people uh, in the local media uh, that you know just the fit makes so much sense and he's a great player so Obviously, we'd feel great about him at 11. I, I want to throw a curveball at you. Do you So, quick question. Do you feel like Christian McCaffrey is a reach at 11? And is it irresponsible of the Saints to take him, given his defensive needs? I, personally, 
I feel like the Saints have to go defense at 11. I mean, they have to. But the idea of McCaffrey in this offense with Sean Payton having the controls and how he would be able to manipulate defenses with a player like this, it's almost too good to pass up. No, I don't think it's a reach at all, especially in the Saints offense, which would use him correctly in terms of, you know, use him to his fullest ability and use him as a receiver, use him as a power uh, sort of runner, or a power scheme runner, excuse me, not not necessarily himself a powerful runner. But uh, I don't think that would be a reach. And I'm of the opinion that while, yes, one side of the ball might be deficient, there, if you can upgrade at a certain position, no matter what it is, like if you can make your offense, if you can take that offense to the next level, you can, you know, carry yourself to a championship if you have, you know, somewhat of an average defense still. I, I understand they don't have an average defense at this point. But I think if you can upgrade anywhere in your roster, you, you would be silly to pass up a guy just because you're feeling a need on the side of the ball that's more deficient than the other. So uh, I don't think that you necessarily have to go defense if you're New Orleans, especially if there is a guy like McCaffrey there. But at, at this point in time, I don't think he's getting there. If I'm being <laughs> honest, I think he goes top 10. Well, here's a random question is, as we're talking running backs. Um, Leonard Fournette, you guys, uh, do you agree he's going in the top 10 even though you don't view him as a top 20 prospect? If he goes top 10, man, I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do. I, that, to me, would make zero sense because just looking at the top 10 of this draft, maybe only Carolina and Buffalo. Obviously, Tennessee, the Titans wouldn't pick him, but Carolina and Buffalo would have an offensive line that would be good enough to sort of maximize – his talents because I, I think he needs a good offensive line in front yeah. of him, just his running style to be successful in the NFL. Anyone else that takes him, if the Jets took him, if the Jaguars took him, that to me would just it would just be a complete waste of a draft where there's so much defense. <laughs> well, then talent it's a perfect pick for the Jets. I was gonna say you want you guys want the, yeah you guys want that to happen. Like at, at the end of the day, I think he does go top ten because every single mock with somewhat uh, any guy who seems connected to the league in terms of former scouts that sort of thing has Fournette going in the top 10. So it looks like he's going to end up there. I think a team would be crazy to take him there, though. That's just my take. Well, here's a guy that the Saints have – some mocks have him taken the, going to the Saints, some, some don't. Uh, Hassan Redick, uh, explain why you think he's uh, safe, with up, uh, safe with upside. Hassan? Yeah. Or, okay, yeah. Uh, he's – He's a freak athlete one like that jumps out on tape as soon as you see him. And I do love his positional versatility. He's similar to a Dante Hightower in that on third down, he can do basically anything you want him to. Uh, and that has value in that just opposing offense coordinators don't know how to, you know, the quarterback doesn't know how to tag him. Is he, how you soon though? I mean, will he be, how, how quickly will he be good? Do you think? I mean, I think he can add to your blitz package right away. I think he's has that sort of uh, potential right away. I'm not sure he's going to be a guy I'm rushing off the edge down after down uh, immediately because uh, he's under 240 pounds still. But as a third down sort of blitz coverage hybrid, I think he can add impact right away. I'm not certain that he's going to be an impact run defender immediately, but that's not the way the linebacker position is moving in the NFL today. It's coverage first, and I think he has – the skills to do that. Uh, so I, I think he can be at least a nickel guy immediately with uh, some sort of development into a full-time role uh, within, you know, end of the season next year, year two. So I, I, if they pick him at number 11, I don't think I'd be unhappy about that. 
Okay, and so corner obviously is a big need, and the Saints did that dance with Malcolm Butler. Right now, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, um, although things, uh. as, you, as you know, they can change quickly. Um, and you're saying you don't feel like Lattimore falls at 11. Is there any – and and there's been so much said about corner and how deep it is in this draft class. Are the Saints better off waiting and not reaching at 11? It seems like 11 is a little high for any other corner besides Lattimore. Do you agree with that? I will say there's one guy that I've seen on tape that I would feel comfortable drafting that highly after Lattimore, and that's actually his teammate, Gary and Conley. To me, he has the second best tape of any cornerback, just in terms of his foot skills are unbelievable to me at the line of scrimmage, the way he mirrors uh, opposing wide receivers so quickly off the line. Uh, he doesn't have, he has adequate size. He's not going to be, a, you know, a Richard Sherman type of press guy, but he can get up there right at the line. And challenge, you know, smaller, you know, average size wide receivers pretty well. I, if they draft him at eleven, like I said, that to me would be fine value. I, I draft him anywhere from about eight on. I think is where he's talented enough to to be picked. He's he's going to be a pretty darn good player in the league, from what I've seen. All right, Mike. So I'm going to put you on the spot. You think Lattimore's gone? You think Thomas is gone? You think McCaffrey's gone? You're the Saints at eleven. You're operating with a board of guys like Derek Barnett, Christian McCaffrey, maybe, um, Hassan Reddick, um, Conley. Who, who do you think is the Saints' ideal pick at 11? Any Real, day. I should say realistic ideal pick. I was going to say any day before like a week ago uh, or whenever it was, I would have said Reuben Foster because to me, that's exactly what they could have used on defense and every down linebacker who can make an impact on all three phases of the game to me he's Ruben Foster's the safest thing after Miles Garrett in this draft class I think he's fantastic but there's just seems like zero chance of that anymore after he failed the drug test just had the worst pre-draft process (laughs) I can remember in recent history so uh outside of Laramie Tunsil the literal pre-draft process (laughs) uh, you don't know they could still have some stuff on draft night (laughs) yeah I was gonna say we'll see what happens on draft night for Foster but uh, I don't think he can get much worse but uh I think Derek Barnett, though, would be ideal in terms of need, fit, immediate impact. To me, he's right out of the gate, ready to play. And all of a sudden, you have two every-down defensive ends that can impact the run and the pass. That just seems like such a valuable addition. And if Sheldon Rankins takes the next step, you have a defensive line that immediately goes from you know, a liability a season ago to some degree to a quality uh, defensive line in the NFL. Um, All right, so we're on board with Barnett. We're, I like board. that. Hey, you know me. I'm I'm a, I'm all about I'm all about Barnett, and it, it's just because I watch like every SEC game I can possi- I can possibly get my hands on during the fall. Um, so 32, um, the Saints, uh, Mike, they kind of need a tackle, but with defensive needs, they have but you know Butler if if he doesn't happen, um, they wait until later in the draft. Um, but this bad, this this draft is so bad at tackle. Could you go tackle at thirty two? Do the Saints need an offensive tackle? Or Tron Armstead and well, Zach Streifert is one of well, is one of the contracts coming yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal with with tackle for the Saints. They really they have three tackles if you count Andres Pete. Um, but the revelation that's been made with Pete is that he doesn't play well on the right side. For whatever reason, he likes having his left hand in the ground. And so 
the vision for him now is they want him to be a left side player. And so with Armstead at left tackle, Andres Pete is a guard. Uh, and then you've got Zach Streif, who's 33, coming off a good year. But um, they really have – if something were to happen to Streif, they have really no one that can play right tackle and, behind. And, Mike, th- this is yeah. something that Saints fans remember. In 2011 – uh, John Stinchcomb was the right tackle and he had been playing for years and he was a good, solid Pro Bowl alternate right tackle and he went into camp and everybody's like, it's going to be Stinchcomb. He's going to be starting. He's going to be fine. And the wheels came off and he retired and the Saints had Streif to plug right in there. But we're like, Streif's 33. Could that happen again? Offensive line becomes a mess. They need it, but mm-hmm. the, the the draft yeah. effort of oh, offensive tackle, it's like, oh my god! I mean, like I think ideally, guys. ideally, we the Saints would take a tackle later in the draft. Um, so I think it's just like we know we need one at some point, and the concern is that it's there's such a lack of depth in this class that you almost have to take one early because there's yeah, not going to be a good that, one later. I think that's my thing with the offensive line class. There are about five offensive linemen that I see as being stars in the NFL. I'd, I'd say Forrest Lamp, uh, Garrett Bowles, Ryan Ramchick, Cam Robinson, and then Taylor Mouton. After that, that's the thing, though, to me, is after that, there's really not developmental guys. There's really not a lot of guys with promise after those five. So that, that if you did want a tackle to be a guy who could step in and start for Streif after he you know, either retires, gets hurt, something like that, You'd have, you would probably have to take him at 32 if you think you have the tackle of the future you know, in tow. So, yeah, that's concerning. But I think you just – you have more glaring needs <laughs> elsewhere yeah. on this roster. And, and 32 is going to be a great spot from just all the mocks I've seen and where the value is at cornerback. That's the other reason why I didn't go cornerback at 11 for the Saints was because at 32 there should be a handful of names on the board – that could step in and start right away with how deep this cornerback class is. How many corners do you do? You, how many corners do you really like in this draft? That that you think that guy, th- these guys are going to play day one at least. They might not be start and be stars, obviously, but they're going to play, and you're going to play them, and you're going to put them on the field, and you, and they're not going to be a rookie disaster corner. That's that's a good question. So I went on record as saying that. 16 will go in the first two rounds. That was my hot. That was one of my hot takes in podcast this week. I think there will be a ton of cornerbacks going off the board. When it's all said and done, who ends up being legitimate starters right away? I think, like I said, Lattimore, Conley are my two favorite guys in this class. And Sidney Jones obviously would have been up there with them had he not torn his Achilles. Uh, so it, I think he just, when he does return, will still be good. After that, I like Tredavious White to be a starter. I think Adoree Jackson at some point will figure it out. I'm not sure that's year one that he does it because he's still pretty raw in his technique and that sort of stuff. Got beat deep a lot, but I like him. Uh, you know, I like his potential. Tease Tabor, I like him in the slot because he doesn't have the speed, but he's so aggressive. I think he has a, a future there. And then a few names, a few long corners that I like, Cordrea Tankersley, Akella Witherspoon, and Kevin King. I just think they'll figure it out with the, the sort of length they have. So... And also would add Chidobe, Chidobe Awuzier to that list of guys who I think could all start, and Marlon Humphrey. So that, however many that was, could all step in right away and play legitimate minutes for a defense uh, next season. All right, well, so let's talk about corner at 32. I mean, I think in a perfect world, defensive end and corner in no specific order are the guys you, or the positions you pick at 11 and 32. 
if it works out that way for the Saints. So yeah, assume, assuming we've got Barnett at 11, we're really looking at ideally a corner at 32, and you said that's a good spot for it. Um, I mean, as an LSU fan, uh, obviously we love Tredavious White, and um, you know I, I saw that on your, in your PFF rankings you have him really high, higher than most. Um, so if he falls there, obviously uh, we would be thrilled with that. Um, there's another corner in Quincy Wilson that I feel like is all over the place. You look at some draft boards, he's way down there. And, and then you look at some, um, they, I mean, I think Matt Miller has him as, as his number one corner in this draft. So he, he's kind of all over the place. Um, who at 32, I mean, realistically, who's available? Who's a good fit for the Saints? Who would help them? Of all those now, guys, just, we can't, we can't have developmental prospects. <laughs> we got to have a guy <laughs> now. That's, that's the thing that I legitimately cannot help you with who will be there because uh, all those guys I mentioned, the Marlon Humphrey, the, you know, Adoree Jackson, Cordero Tankersley, Akilah Willis from Kevin King. I have no clue. And Trey Davis White, I have no clue what order they're the yeah. NFL season. And, and truthfully, it's going to depend team to team because of how closely those evals are. They're just so similar in terms of talent levels that they all have you know some weaknesses but there's a lot more promise and weaknesses for all those guys and they're all going to get pushed down to some degree because everyone's saying in the i can know, wait i can wait 20s i can wait i can wait yes exactly i can get a guy in the second instead of having to overdraft this guy in the first so i can't tell you who's going to be there. i think a handful of guys will be there that could step in right away any pick any of those names that i listed like i just said any of those guys would be a good fit uh, besides probably T's Tabor in terms of uh, him being a slot only. But I think any of the other guys would be, uh, be able to step in for the Saints and Saints, excuse me, and start. I mean, well, white white's a guy who I, I think, and you tell me if you think I'm crazy, I think he'll fall because he's five eleven. And when you talk about all these good corners that are in this draft, a lot of them are six foot plus. And a lot of them are six foot plus and run ridiculous 40 times. So in <laughs> terms of the size speed, uh, there's just so many attractive prospects that I think white gets lost a little bit in the shuffle due only to height. Uh, but is it fair to say from a talent perspective and from a tape perspective, he might be better than all those guys? No. Yeah. We have him as our number two corner uh, for a reason because he's so aggressive and so, uh, and like calculatedly aggressive. He's not, a uh, guy getting himself, he's not playing reckless. He's just a very physical cornerback, despite not being, like you said, the checking the six foot and over box with 32 and a half inch arms or whatever the <laughs> NFL looks for at the position. And that is a thing. And I, and that, but you were spot on and saying he probably will fall down the draft because so many of these teams are looking to copy what Seattle did with yeah. their long corners. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, schematically, you can take advantage of that. But it's not the end all be all. A lot of long corners have failed once they got to the NFL. So, oh yes, that, that oh, would be a taste comes to mind. Yes, <laughs> that would be if he falls to 30 to 32, That would be a slam dunk of a pick, in my opinion. Um, so as you know, we all have our favorite players. Who's who's a guy you know? Because the Saints have three picks the second day. Who's a guy that you like? that other people don't, that when they come up in the second and third round, you'll be like, I can't believe these teams are passing on my guy and they are going to regret this. Who are like two or, the, two or three of those guys that you have? 
Well, I haven't seen a mock in like a month that has had <laughs> Carl Lawson in the first round, which is crazy to me because Carl Lawson, he, you know, you watch the SEC. He's he's a unbelievably, beast. He's unbelievably physical for an edge defender. One of the probably the best bull rusher in the country last year. Um, probably better than Miles Garrett in that regard. Reminds me a lot of Brandon Graham, actually, in terms mm-hmm. of just his first contact on offensive tackles just seems to shock them more than any other uh, any other defensive end's first contact. It just has more power in his hands than you just see from an edge rusher. And so that, to me, I, I get that he didn't have great production, didn't have the sack numbers, didn't have uh, doesn't play the run at a high level, kind of does can't be bothered to play the run. He's sort of lazy <laughs> in that regard. I love that. I love that. Can't and be bothered. undersized, but the, the dude – can rush the passer and that's what you want I, I don't care about the run i don't care about run defense if i'm running an nfl team in this day and age maybe at nose tackle i'll care about it but every other position i'm gearing up to stop the pass and he can rush the passer so if he falls to 42 to the saints again that, that would be a tough guy to pass up with how talented he is another guy along the defensive lines malik mcdowell who i think we know the reasons why he's falling the off-field stuff he's pretty immature at only 20 years old but in terms of raw talent, he's right up there with Jonathan Allen, Solomon Thomas, in terms of those edge uh, interior tweener sort of guys. He has all the tools they do, has more size, has more length, but just oh, not the uh, not the sort of on-field dominant production that either of them had or the consistencies. But he'll fall uh, yeah. similar to what Chris Jones did last year in terms of just didn't have the consistency, didn't have the maturity yet, but he gets his head on straight. That dude's a top-ten talent in the class. So those two, I'd say – We'll go to the second round and just be steals for whoever gets them. All right. So assuming we take care of defensive end and corner, uh, as we did in in our semi mock here at eleven and thirty two, that the needs kind of expand for the Saints then to you know the secondary stuff, which is linebacker, tackle, which we talked about, safety, maybe a quarterback. Um, oh, so, now we're getting dicey. Yeah. Is is there anyone? Yeah, yeah. Is there anyone at these positions uh, that I just mentioned in rounds two, rounds three, uh, that you feel like the Saints ought to be looking at that will fall there, help the team? Well, damn, is Ruben Foster going to fall there at this point? Uh, he might. Uh, oh my! If he does, if he did, that's. I think that's a no-brainer for is them he, at this is he point. Going, is he going to the draft? Is he going to be sad green room guy on Thursday? I don't know. I haven't seen the I, – I mean, I've seen the names. I, I have not uh, committed them to memory at this point, though. <laughs> but uh, I will say I, Taylor Mouton might be there at 42. If that if he is, that would be a hard guy to pass up if, if they truly are uh, in need of a tackle because he can also – he can – He's not just a tackle. He can play anywhere along that offensive line. He can basically be your swing six lineman to where someone gets hurt at left guard, right guard, even left tackle. He just steps in and could play it. I think that's how good he is. Wow. Uh, I, I said earlier today on, our, on the PFF podcast, actually, that I think when it's all said and done, he's the best offensive lineman in this class. There's just so much to like about him. I get why he's not getting you know, the hype of some other guys. Because uh, he has looks a little herky jerky, a little awkward, and only played one year at tackle in college. But it, there's so much to like about him, and so if if he is there for two, that's another guy who I think that would be tough to pass up. I'm tr- what other positions do you say besides linebacker and safety? Uh, you got any safeties you like? 
there are a handful of second round safeties. Uh, I don't think Obi Melifanwu, when it's all said and done, ends up making it there. Uh, I don't think Jabril Peppers makes it there to them in the second round. But I like Eddie Jackson out of Alabama. I know he didn't have a full uh, year last year. But from what I've seen from him, he was great in a, a center field type of role there. I think he can do that uh, at the next level. And I like Buda Baker from Washington. I think he ends up – I really don't know where the NFL falls on him. But at 42, I think he would be a great fit in that. He can cover the slot extremely well and be a versatile piece that I know the Saints love those versatile – uh, safeties that they can play mm-hmm. all over the field. He can do that as well. So I think he would fit in if he is still on the board. You know, Mike, the one interesting thing in regards to the Butler trade was, you know, today uh, Peter King came out and said, look, the Saints view 25, the, the, the 25th player is really close to the 75th or 100th player, and they feel like because all the players are so close together, that they want to have as many picks as possible. So I guess my question to you is, what's the difference between player 25 and 100 in this draft? Are they right? Is it? Are they kind of really clumped together? No, I think that's what I was getting at with the cornerback position, and it's true on a number of positions. There's just this sort of second tier of guys at uh, edge rusher, at cornerback, at linebacker, at uh, even running back uh, that – they just all separating them is going to come down to the scheme you run, the what sort of uh, speed you're looking for, the uh, sort of other traits that there really is no on-field sort mm-hmm. of reason to be separating these guys. So I completely agree with that sentiment and why I don't think you'll see many trades in this first round because Ooh. no one's no one wants to give up picks. No one wants to you. give up a second rounder to maybe get their you know, quote-unquote guy because – they know that there's five other guys waiting for them that fill the same need. So I, I don't think this is uh, if if it's if I'm a, f- a fan of a team that's trading up in this draft, I'd be pretty upset. Uh oh. Well, the Saints always trade up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's well, what that's what they do. We'll see. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the Saints do. I mean, they're I I have a bet with Andrew that the Saints will not be making both of their third round picks because they're just they're going to move up. It's what they do. Um, uh, sometimes it works out. I mean, Julio <laughs> Jones is a good player for Atlanta, so I don't know. So sometimes it does. Andrew, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, I know you wanted to um, you wanted to ask him about um, players that he'll regret, right? Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. So, well, you can't say Fournette, Mike. Because uh, okay. you know we're LSU fans here, so you know, we don't want we don't want you to break our hearts. But what's give us a player that you just feel like teams are going to take him? They're going to take him way too early, and he's going to end up being terrible, and they're going to regret it. And you're going to be on Twitter two, three years from now, letting everyone know that you told him so. Uh, Cam Robinson is it? Has he? I think he's gotten well criticized throughout this process but i still think he goes top 20 in this draft and at that point i can't get on board with that he's just so so my biggest my biggest worry with him is on the offensive line it's such a detail-oriented position where you need to the consistency is key like you have Mm -hmm. to down after down be executing your assignment because you know four blown assignments or four you know losses on the offensive line is a terrible offensive lineman whereas the difference between four 
a great offensive lineman and a bad offensive lineman is like three losses a game. So at a position where it's consistency is so key for him to be as inconsistent and lackadaisical as he was in college to where he was getting as good a coach as you're going to get on the offensive line at Alabama and was and, still and he was blowing a five-star guy missing and, these. Yeah. And didn't, we didn't see this improvement from him as a freshman to a junior at a position where you need to keep developing as your career goes on for him to not have done that already is very worrisome to me. The fact to think that he'll just all of a sudden flip this switch once he gets to the league, I, I don't see it happening. So that to me, Cam Robinson, if I'm taking him in the first round, I just would not, uh, I would not feel great about that pick. So I've, I've, that, got, a, I've got a couple guys and I'll, Mike, I'll, I'm interested in hearing your comment on these. And right. you know, I know you like Ruben Foster in terms of his tape and his potential, but uh, you know, Ralph and I have talked about this and we, we agree that, if you're failing a drug test at the combine, it's a job. You're going to a job interview with no pants, Mike. That's right. What it, right. That's what it is. You're going to a job interview with no pants. I mean, you're either a, a a junkie or you're just really stupid. And either way, that never works out in the uh, good NFL. Luck. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I, Foster and Jab- Jabril Peppers. Those were the two guys I was going to say. I personally, I would not draft them. No, I'm on board with Jabril Peppers. I think he is at the end of the day not versatile like everyone says he's versatile because he did a handful of things at michigan but at the end of the day he's a safety in the nfl he can't play linebacker at 511 210 no one can he, he can <laughs> maybe play the slot but is that really versatility if you're a safety that can play the slot that's a hand that's a good number of safeties in the league and even though he can play the slot i'd still rather have a slot cornerback playing the slot instead of him so it's not uh He's not a guy I even had a first-round grade just watching the tape and add that onto the mix, and that's concerning. Reuben Foster, though, it's such a weird case. Like, it's almost like he's sabotaging. <laughs> it's almost like he's sabotaging himself in the pre-draft process to <laughs> go to the combine and physically threaten a worker. There is about as dumb a thing as you can do. I, I feel Second like only he's a, to failing a drug test. I there, feel so. like there's this, like a ten percent chance that he is like in cahoots with him, Saban, and Bel- Bill Belichick are in cahoots. And he's like, look, I got to fall th- to the third round because New England doesn't have a pick. So I got to do whatever yeah. it takes to get to New England. And he's like working on it for some reason. That, that's, that's my crazy Reuben Foster theory. I mean, it's, it's really not that crazy because <laughs> I've never seen a guy attempt to just torpedo his own draft stock as badly as he has. Uh, and the crazy thing, what's, what is crazy to me is that you heard nothing about this prior to the combine. There was no, oh, Reuben Foster, look out for, you know, like usually you hear about guys who are going to be this big of a problem or going to have these sort of issues. No whispers whatsoever about Foster. Yeah. Like we heard whispers no like whispers that about his teammate, all. Tim Williams, uh, but nothing about Foster. And then all of a sudden, just no clue where it came from. I, nope. I still am holding out hope, but. At this point, if I'm an NFL team with a first-round pick, I'm unless it's in the late, you know, twenties, twenties, I'm not going to risk it with how deep this draft is. I'm not going to take my chance on this guy who is doing nothing right and be forced to coach him for four years. You know, be forced to coach a guy like that. So, yeah, that's I could see him being out of the league after a handful of seasons if he keeps going at the rate he is on. Um, my my. We forgot about a red flag guy that may or may not be on the Saints radar. It, it's uh, it's widely discussed, and that's Joe Mixon. 
Because the Saints, because okay. so so Mike, how do you? First of all, how do you grade him, and where do you think he's gonna go? I Mixon is a freak of nature. I <laughs> think he is with Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook, one A, B, and C. Those three are very talented running backs. Um, Mixon reminds me a lot of Melvin Gordon and just the way he moves. But at the end of the day, he's 15 pounds heavier than Melvin Gordon, and you can't you don't notice that on tape. But that's going to show up when he's trying to break tackles to the next level. And he has receiving skills that I think only McCaffrey is better than in this draft class. He is that good as a receiver out of the backfield. And, you know, when you split him out wider in the slot, he can do that as well. So he's the total package. When it's all said and done where he goes, I just think it's going to be someone in the second round. I, I know all these teams are coming out. Anonymous scouts for these teams are saying, oh, yeah, he's off our board. He's off our board. But he's not going to be off everyone's board. And yeah. someone's not really going to care about the PR hit that they're going to take because if you take him the fifth or sixth, you're going to take the PR hit anyway. So you might as well go get him when you have the chance. No one's going to take him in the first round because that's a little too big of a PR hit to have your only, you know, that number one guy be a uh, be what he is. But second round, I think someone's going to risk that for the fact that you're getting one of the best running backs. Cincinnati, Cincinnati is going to take him. Because they you think so, they Cincinnati. You know, Bomani Jones for ESPN he has a great way to describe Cincinnati. They buy the open box at Best Buy, <laughs> and and I just think it's. I mean, look at look at all the trouble players that Cincinnati gets. They draft them, and Mike Brown says Marvin Lewis. I drafted this guy. You figure it out, and Marvin Lewis kind of figures it out, right? So I, I just think that no, that's that could be a place for him. That's not a bad take. I mean, Vontez, uh, perfect, uh, Pac-Man. They really – and Pac-Man continues to get in stuff, and they're kind of just, oh, we 15th chance, Pac-Man. <laughs> we believe in 15th chances. So, uh, no, they definitely believe in second chances. So, I'm guessing he's not off their board. So, that's a pretty good take. All right, Mike, g- give me some day three sleepers. Uh, who do you love, especially for the Saints, uh, that they can look for? That you know, and, and the Saints don't have fourth and fifth round picks right now. So we're looking one pick in the sixth, one pick in the seventh. Um, any Anyone that you feel like they could nab there that would help the team? I don't know where uh, Trey Hendrickson's going to fall in this draft, the yeah. FAU uh, defensive end. I know he had a fairly good combine, but uh, not – I haven't heard much hype for him. If he's still there late in the draft, I think that one would be a guy who could really help. He is was the most efficient pass rusher in the entire nation. I know he's going up against some not amazing competition at FAU, but he has a legitimate first step off the line of scrimmage and some power behind him and is still raw, which is the crazy thing about it. He was so productive but really doesn't have a full slate of pass rushing moves. So if he can develop a little more, I think he ends up being a guy who – could start in the NFL, could offer you something as a pass rusher. And I also like Stevie Tuikolavatu, the USC nose tackle. Uh, to me, he checks a ton of boxes for a run-stuffing nose tackle. I know he's old. I think he's going to be 26 by the time the year starts because he did a Mormon mission and whatnot. But he is, he's, And he's going to get pushed down the draft because he offers about as little as a pass rusher as you can offer as a nose tackle. The dude can <laughs> barely move. But that's the thing. You can barely move him as well. So he can hold the point right up the middle of a defense. That's what you need from a nose tackle on early downs. I think he's going to provide a lot more value than where he ends up getting drafted in this one. My final question for you, Mike, is uh, – and 
as a, as as far as it could be a prediction or just your gut, what team or what player do you see happening on the first round where people are like, I cannot believe this team or this player, this player went here or this team did that. Is there is there a move that you could see just really surprise us? And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be top ten. It could be. It could be anything in the first round. Hmm. Who could really surprise in terms of sneak in to the back of the first round? Man, uh, I, I really don't know. I I think maybe is four quarterbacks going. Would that be surprising? I, yeah, I do think that at the end of the day, be. four quarterbacks go. I think Kaiser. Yeah, Kaiser uh, with with I, with Kelly uh, hijack torpedoing value. <laughs> uh, that would be surprising. I would think. I do think four quarterbacks go in the first round at some point. So wow. if that's a wow, surprise, that, I think yeah, that is will happen. So that, I think wow. Kaiser goes to the Chiefs. I think we, we want that, Ralph. We want four No, down. we want – As long uh, as the Saints aren't taking one of them. Yeah. I mean, the thing is because uh, to me, Mike, this draft, it really sets up interesting for the Saints in that if the quarterbacks go early, defensive player drops. If a quarterback is there at 11 – you could have a team trade up, but then you said that teams are going to be averse to trading up this draft. So maybe it doesn't it now my, my theory is maybe this draft doesn't set up as well for the saints as I thought. Maybe we, we really, really don't want the quarterbacks to drop. You want them as many to go in that top 10 as you can, because teams just aren't going to want to trade up. No, I, 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 like I said that before, I definitely think that will happen. I think that's what you want also, as you want offensive talent off the board. You want quarterbacks off the board. And I and I do think, to some degree, it sets up that way. I'll actually give one more take that I think uh, would be a little surprising and where I, I see a guy going higher than a lot of projected. I think when it comes Thursday, John Ross is off the board in the top uh, eight picks. I think he's gone by at least eight. We like that. I think he goes a lot like higher him. than people are saying, just because one, the NFL absolutely has drafted guys like Will Fuller in the first round in the twenties. Drafted guys like uh, Philip Dorsett, who yeah. offered almost nothing more than just pure speed. They, they covered speed that much to where they'll teach who a guy the receiver to catch the Raiders balls. Took? Oh, and uh, Darius Hayward. Yeah, Hayward Bay. Hayward Bay. Well, yeah. Just off of pure speed, nothing else. John Ross actually has something else. He actually has hands. He actually has some ball skills and can actually break some tackles. And when you put that mix together, I know he has an injury history, but you put that sort of mix together, someone's going to fall in love. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's the Titans, Jets, <laughs> Panthers there in the top 10 that just falls in love and says, you know, this guy's going to be a game breaker for us with how much NFL teams covered speed. I mean, if Al Davis was still alive, he'd trade up to <laughs> like, five to get him. If Al, Al <laughs> I Davis. think he goes pretty highly. When it, I think he surprises people with how high he'll go. Mike, I don't know if you're going to be right, but I want you to be right about <laughs> your predictions in the I, top I ten. I to be right, too. I think <laughs> we all do. So, uh, Mike, we can't thank you enough. Guys, follow him, Mike Renner. Uh, he's at PFF underscore Mike on Twitter. You know, they're awesome. Go there. It's it's phenomenal. Uh, we cannot wait for this draft. Mike, thanks for giving us time in a busy, crazy week for you. Yes, thank you for those kind words about PFF. And uh, check me out uh, Thursday night. I'll be doing a live draft show with SI. So if you go awesome. to SI.com, we'll be, 
We'll be live. Me and Steve Falazolo, our <laughs> director of college scouting, we'll be talking about the picks going up. So sure check that out. And thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.